All right. Hey guys, welcome back to another 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 episode of Beards for Radio. I am Sasha, and I'm Joe, and we are fresh off a of Michigan State victory over Northwestern. We will cover everything that happened in that game. We will get to Michigan and Michigan State basketball, and also tell you some Christmas tales from Christmas past on this episode of the Beards for Radio podcast. Yep, and we're going to dip our uh, toes into the Ford's pool over oh, yeah. there in Allen Park. And uh, we're going to talk about that, too, since uh, two, uh, two uh, Grinches are coming back next season. But let's start off with uh, MSU since it's kind of fresh in, um, in our minds. I, I just got done watching. Beards for Radio. Thanks. Fresh off the Michigan State victory, this is literally minutes after the game, and this was one that was just an uncomfortable win. Like, the game was never really in doubt, per se, but Northwestern just would not go away, and that's just kind of going to be the story of Big Ten basketball this season. I think it's well documented now that in the early Big Ten conference games up until this point, every home team had won in terms of, like, the Big Ten conference games. So, yeah, Michigan State now sits alone at first place in the Big Ten at 2-0, and which is crazy to think about. But it's, that's just how the conference is going to be. But Michigan State all season, like, they've been doing a lot of things well aside from shooting. And tonight they actually shot the ball pretty well overall. Tom Izzo said it best in the postgame interview. He said, we did a lot of things really, really well, but we also did a lot of things really poorly. There was – pretty much no happy medium on that yeah um what i noticed was is that xavier simpson uh xavier tillman Tillman looked (laughs) he looked scatterbrained i don't know what you know he had that a few times where it's like he's wide open you know like pull that bro pull it you know i'm saying he like one time one time i noticed that you know he did it and he got a traveling uh uh penalty from it and then uh Henry, where's Henry's head today? Yeah, I was there's... actually gonna say that about Aaron Henry. He just seems right. like he's having uh up and down games pretty much every other game. Like you don't know which one you're gonna get. And he really needs to just learn some of that consistency. You know, I think he's a very smart player. Um he's just kinda inside his own head right now. He just kinda needs to break through his his uh sophomore slump at the moment because it was this game, it was the Duke game, uh, you know, it, it was the Kentucky game, he needs to really have, like, a breakthrough performance one of these days. Right, because he had, like, back-to-back fouls in between, like, letting the basket yeah. up. And then, like, like I was saying about Tillman is it's, like, pull it. He has a nice shot. It's not like it's not like he has, like, an ugly shot or, you know, most shots don't go. He has a nice shot. Most of the time, it's 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 you know it's aimed properly. I guess you can say it that way. So just no, when you're that wide open, I just want to say he's, he's got a good shot for for a true big man. Um, right. And Michigan State on the season before tonight, they were shooting 31 uh, percent against Northwestern. They actually shot nine for 21, 42 percent. I can't say for sure, but I'm I'm fairly certain that's their best three point performance of the night. And uh, the guy who really stuck out to me tonight, aside from Cassius, was Gabe Brown. Had a a quiet double-double, I believe the first double-double of his career uh, with 11 and 10. He's been thrust into a starting role due to the injury to Rocket Watts. And 
I really think he should keep that role when, when Watts is back from injury. I think he's really earning his minutes. He shot three for four from beyond the arc. He shot mm-hmm. four of eight total. Uh, like I said, 10 rebounds. Uh, I don't see uh, any turnovers that he accounted for. So, yeah, Gabe Brown has been giving them a lot of minutes at the three, and he's got some really nice length to him. Um, and that's another thing about Aaron Henry is he's really playing a little out of position right now at the two. But I think if if they just stick with him at the two, it will pay dividends if he just adjusts to that role and learns how to play it. But those two, yeah, they give Michigan State a lot of length and um, a lot of athleticism and a lot of upside, I think. Yeah, most definitely. But, you know, like you said, I think I think Gabe Brown was surprising. You know, he, he's, he's shooting his corner threes. But, I mean, he's not going to get those off unless, you know, Cash doesn't, doesn't give him those good looks. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, I mean, uh, like they're saying, I don't want to use a cliche floor general, but that's what the epitome of, you know, uh, of him being point guard, you know, one of the top point guards in actually the country, man, he's just a floor general. And he like, you know, when, when you're given good, accurate passes, it's easy for people to, you know, get their fingers spread, get their hands positioned, you know, and get in their three point, you know, triple threat spot does you know, pull up right away. So it's, it's big. So like, yeah, but you're right. Northwestern just wouldn't go away. You know, they were just nipping at the heels, nipping at the heels. And, yeah, yeah. it's frustrating. In so, the, uh, in the second half saying. alone, it went from being a 16-point game to, I believe, Northwestern got it down to four, back to being up to around a 12-point game. And then, yeah, in the final minute, got back to within four. And it's just uh, – what was great was uh, Foster Lawyer coming off the bench to be the free-throw specialist, and he sank four late including the first one of a one-and-one that he he really got the friendly bounce on, which was good to see. Um, and he had a nice play in the first half where he, uh, on the same possession, made a nice pass, uh, got the ball back and did a curl, and hit a three right at the end of the shot clock. So that's, that's good for him. If he can just come onto the floor and shoot, because he really is a good shooter, um, that would be huge for Michigan State. Um and, you know, it wouldn't be a Michigan State basketball game if somebody on the opposing team didn't just absolutely go off. And it was probably the guy with the most annoying name on the floor, Boo Booey. <laughs> Baba Booey. Baba Booey. <laughs> it's just out of nowhere in the second half. He came off the bench, just finished with 26 points. It seemed like there was about a three-minute stretch where Northwestern was just kind of giving him the ball, letting him go to work and uh, – I was kind of like, you got to be kidding me. You know, we see it with, with uh, Tyrese Maxey and Miles Powell, Anthony Edwards, Vernon Carey, and now this dude? Like, seriously? Oh, man. Um, but what I really like about Michigan State's team so far this season is that you got Cassius Winston. You know he's Batman. But on any given night, it seems like somebody else is going to step up. We've seen it be... Xavier Tillman plenty of times. We've seen it be Malik Hall, Aaron Henry, uh, even Thomas Kithier or someone like Rocket Watts. A lot of people, aside, aside from Cassius Winston, can score. Um, but it feels like tonight, having three players that were hitting shots in Winston and Tillman and Brown was a big step for Michigan State. Yeah, most definitely. Especially with, uh, you know, with, with Watts being out, I think uh, – like you said, Gabe was, you know, surprising. It was surprising to see him hit. You know, he has he's a 
he's a as an awkward release, but hey, it works. For, you know what I'm saying? It works for him. You know, I said the yeah. same thing about Cassius and you know, dudes tearing up the floor. <laughs> but um, I really like Cassius in um this game. I really liked him in transition. I think he pushed the ball hard. Um, I think he tried to get you know them on their back pedal, back on their our heels, and he did a good job about doing that as well. So. You know, it's just, it's just it makes it so much easier when you have a, a someone to lead on the floor like that, and and someone in 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 the point position like that to you know push your guys' head. But I want to see I want to see Xavier Tillman to unconsciously just pull those shots when he's wide open like that because I think, yeah I think I think he can hit them. I think that's I think that's that can that, that's part of his game, and I think he's kind of shying away from it uh, in a sense. You know what I'm saying? So. Yeah, and he hit that nice corner pocket one early on in the second half. Um, I'd agree. Yeah, I'd like to see him shoot it more. He did have 12 attempts tonight, which was the most on the team, and uh, finished 6 for 12. So that's a pretty decent outing. Um, Yeah, it's just – it's a weird season so far. But, you know, Michigan State's next five are at home. I think they got two – tune-up games between Eastern Michigan and Western Michigan. And then it, it gets really real really quick. Uh, you got Illinois. Three days later, you got Michigan. And then you got Minnesota. And, you know, the Big Ten season has just been crazy. Any Really, any team can beat another team on any given night. So you really got to bring your A game. And Illinois, has, their style of defense is just giving Cassius Winston fits throughout his whole career. So... If other people aren't hitting shots for Michigan State, Illinois can come into Breslin Center and pull one of those type of games. And, you know, Michigan State, they could get caught looking ahead to Michigan on that Sunday. I don't think they will because Illinois beat them last year. But, yeah, no, there's the next two games for Michigan State, even though they're playing Eastern and Western Michigan, they're big games because these are opportunities. These are the last opportunities they have to – tune themselves up and, you know, complete the fine tuning before the games get really intense as if tonight wasn't intense enough, you know? Right. No, absolutely. And, uh, we seen, we seen it from, you know, U of M when they went against Illinois, Illinois is no pushover, you know, Kofi Cockburn, you know what I'm saying? is He's a load to handle. You know what I'm yeah. saying? And, and I noticed that when Teske needs to go up against dudes that are as big or bigger than him, he doesn't really step up to the plate. That's just my opinion. You know what I'm saying? And, and um, it's not just Coburn for Illinois. It's Bashanishvili, who they played at yeah. the five last year, but, who, who's now playing at the four, who I, I really like his game. Right. They have like, a, what is it, the Georgian guy, a guy from Georgia? Yeah. Uh, but, Georgie uh, Bashanishvili. Yeah. But like, yeah. So they, they got like a one two punch down low, man. I mean, like, you know, even though we see the way basketball is headed with, you know, they're taking more threes than ever before, we're also seeing silently, you know, these big men adapting, you know what I'm saying, and, and, and being able to spread their game out. So, yeah, I mean, like, th- that was a load that, you know, Tess had to deal with, and he has no one else to really help him. I mean, with Castleton, you know, Johns, you know, I, I they're, they're, they're nice players, but they're, you know what I'm saying, I, I feel like they're undersized. They're not – they don't step up to that physicality that I think Jawan Howard wants them to play at. You know what I'm saying? But that's why he's there. That's why they hired that guy. And I think, you know, um, he's going to let these guys know that they're going to have to bang. You have to bang these big dudes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, whether they like it or not. 
but joke. So you know, uh, you, you're absolutely right. It's not. It's nothing to scoff at when they come into East Lansing, dude. So um, I think I think Illinois is is one of those scary creeper teams. Yeah, but and uh, but yeah, they give. Go ahead. Just to wrap on Michigan State's game against Northwestern and uh, really just encompassing them to the this point this season. Uh, the encouraging thing again was just seeing shots fall. Uh, nine three pointers in a game. That's that's a huge step for Michigan State. But still, you got sixteen turnovers. Um, a few of them unforced, but wasn't quite as bad as the Oakland game on Saturday. But uh, you do see Cassius Winston kind of just throwing the ball to the other side of the court. Hope, you know, like he used to all the time with Nick Ward. But Michigan State, they don't really have somebody who runs the floor in the same way that Nick Ward did. Nick Ward was so efficient with it um, that it's, it's taken some time to adjust. But it also looked like Cassius Winston was having fun out there. And, you know, to bump the the Sean Windsor article that came out over the weekend, um, I was just talking about how it, it hasn't, been as enjoyable this year for obvious reasons, you know. It's, I, I thought right. it looked like he was having fun out there, and um, I'm just glad to see that. And nice to see him respond to a tough game last weekend against Oakland to uh, really kind of have a pickup game against Northwestern. So that was good to see. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, tough for the kids going through, absolutely. But yeah, um, over on the other side, you know. Um, Michigan kind of dropped, lost our last two, dropped down to number fourteen. Which you know, I'm not, I'm not high this year. These guys doing complete damage. You know me. I'm just like I always said. I just want them to compete. But the Illinois game, I thought, you know, looking at Illinois' team, yeah, thought they would be uh, a little better. And I think I'm, just, I'm gonna put it right there. They, they kind of had like pedestrian play. Michigan had pedestrian play. I mean, Livers, Teske, and Brooks combined for 40 points. Wagner was an absolute no show. I think he had like two points. Um, Simpson, uh, Xavier uh, Simpson is kind of starting to be predictable. He's, he's always gonna get his nine points and like 10 assists. But how he's gonna get his nine points to get that little runner hook shot off the, and that's cool to pull out the bag sometimes. But man, it's just like. He's starting to be so predictable. I want to kind of see the Julius kind of take over it and bringing the ball up sometimes just to, you know, have a different feel into the offense. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I got you. Yeah. yeah and then go ahead. I was just going to say, Simpson, he has been shooting it better this season than in the past. But, yeah, like you said, there are still a lot of points to Simpson's offensive game where, um, I don't know, the passes he's making right now, they're not like, I don't know. They seem like pretty simple passes to make, um, and I, I really like Xavier Simpson. He's he's one of my favorite players in the in the country. But yeah, offensively, it seems like when DeJulia steps onto the floor or they have someone else running the point, they don't take too much of a step back, and in, in some certain areas, they actually take a little bit of a step forward. Right, right. It's it's a little more push, you know, because with the Julius, I mean, like he doesn't have the greatest. He he has a way better jump shot than Simpson. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. You know, you you hit you you add the element on the floor, and the other you know the opponents are kind of aware that you can spread the floor out a little bit. You know what I'm saying? And but you know, like like you said, you got uh, uh, Cockburn and Bishanishvili, whatever his name is, uh, on the on the floor, and they're it, you know who are Michigan's going to stop them? I mean, you're not going to be able to throw uh, bodies at those guys. It's just not going to happen. You know. Um, yeah. But like I said, I just hope Jawan Howard, you know, gets to these guys and lets them know that 
even though it's headed towards the big man being finesse, sometimes you got to have to bang, brother. Sometimes you're going to have to get in there and throw a couple elbows and, and hips, and, you know, you're going to have to do that. Right. You know what I'm saying? A, so A bowl in a china shop. Sometimes you're going to have to do that, you know, and, and I was surprised that it wasn't, you know, what they lost by nine. I'm surprised they didn't lose by a, a little more, you know what I'm saying, to be honest with you. Um, the next game was kind of more surprising to me that or, um, when they played Oregon, they only lost by, uh, I believe, a point because of the overtime. Now, this game, you know, the, the, the three bigs I'm looking for are Livers, Teske, and Brooks. If those guys score high, you know what I'm saying? If they, if they can be efficient, the game seems to go smoother because then, then Wagner has to throw his little mix into there too as well. But this game, they only combined for 19 points, but Wagner came in and dropped 21. The Julius came in and dropped in 14 points. Um, but Brandon Johns got a few uh, garbage buckets, but he had about 10 rebounds. And Xavier, like I said, predictable, 8 points, 11 rebounds, right around his norm. You know what I'm saying? But um, I was – Kind of pleasantly surprised to see how they handled, you know, Oregon's big three. Pritchard dropped 23. Don't want to see that ever happen. But nah. Matthias and Durate, Durate, Duarte, Duarte, again, say his name, 30 points combined. So when you have three players combining for 53 points, eh, it's a, it's a no-go because, you know, other, 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 other players are just basically paint, playing pedestrian at that point as well. You know what I'm saying? Probably getting garbage points here and there, get hustle, whatever. Yeah. But you can't let three dudes get 53 points. And our our what our top four or five guys got 53, not even close to 53 points combined. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. I, w- I like to see them put the, you know, put the uh, put a D on, <laughs> put a defense <laughs> on these guys a little, a little, a little more, and lock them up. And like I said, the reason why Teske you know, it, it, it kind of was closer is because Oregon doesn't really have big dudes. Like, their big guys are, like, big to me, big small forwards, like 6'8", six, 6'9", six, you know what I'm saying? You know, Teske's seven foot, so he kind of got away with it. But when you when, you, when you're going to fa- face, you know, Kofi Cockburn, so you're going to face uh, uh, Luca Garza's, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. He's going to get eaten up in the post, and that's that, to me, is the biggest – uh, issue or the biggest detriment to Michigan's basketball at this moment. You know what I'm saying? They're big men. They're they're big men. Just, I mean, they can play. They can play a finesse game. You know, and, and don't get me wrong, Teske gets his blocks, but if someone's bigger than him, dude, he just gets yeah. up every time. That's why I see him bang. They're really just not rebounding very well lately. I just see them right. getting out rebounded or Oregon, like you mentioned it. Their bigs aren't really like that big and. They tied U of M on the glass. They both had 32 apiece, but I will say U of M responded really well to uh, Oregon throwing a couple duck punches at him. And (laughs) no pun intended. Um, And this was really the game where Wagner was a player. You know, like this was the first time you really saw what I think U of M fans have been expecting from Wagner. And to be fair to him, you know, he did just start playing again two weeks ago and his first career college games were against Iowa state, then Carolina, then Gonzaga, then at Louisville, then Iowa, then at Illinois, then Oregon. Um, Right. Yeah. And then livers, he had a weird game, just really not being a factor in the first half. He had that missed dunk where he had just a beautiful drive to the basket. And then just totally Brandon Dawson did and tried to like (laughs) emphatically slam it down. Ended up just, you know, sometimes just a nice, two-hand jam or just a finger roll 
You know, two points is two points. It doesn't matter how you get it. Right. <laughs> and then he came out firing in the second half and made five of like his next six or seven shots and was really a big factor. But then he didn't really – maybe it's because they didn't go to him as much, but he didn't really contribute much outside of like the first uh, push out of the second half, you know? Streaky. He's streaky. Yeah. You know? And I, and I like his game. And, you know, like he has a good game and he like – to the eye test, you know, hey, it's pretty good. You know what I'm saying? I like him. I test, right? But it's like he needs to be more consistent. You know, I want to see more consistency out of Livers, Teske, and Brooks. I think those are, you know, three main dudes. Um, I, I kind of don't want to say, oh, you know, Xavier Simpson would be that point guard, you know what I'm saying? But, like, he's starting to be too predictable. You need to, you need to throw to Julius in the middle to be a, a bring the ball up sometimes and switch it up. That's just my opinion. But, I mean, on paper – if you look at if you look on paper, if you look at the box score in this Oregon game, like or Oregon looked worse. They, they looked a whole lot worse, but right. they they you know they pulled it out. Is that is that one point? So I'm I'm glad that they that you know they hung in there. You know what I'm saying? I'm glad, uh, especially number eight Oregon. You know, I'm glad they hung in there. I'm glad that they're you know playing the way they play. I just want to I just want to see them develop more. I just want to see the bigs develop a whole lot more. Yeah. And they, they still play good team defense, Michigan does, but you're starting to see Xavier Simpson get beat on the dribble more often. Like, Winston did it a lot last season, but Cassius Winston, aside from John Morant, was playing like the best point guard in the country last year. But you've seen Peyton Pritchard do it more and uh, Desunmu for Illinois. He didn't really beat him on the dribble as much, but Desunmu was having a rough go of things after turning down the NBA, and then he kind of, had a mini breakout against U of M in that game. But, um, yeah, like their team defense is still good, but it looks like teams are still finding different ways to beat them. Like Louisville beat them defensively, and then Illinois beat them with the big men down low, and then Oregon, it felt like, beat them with guards. And in all, right. in all three of their losses, U of M really got out to slow starts, and that's what – I think killed them. And some people will say like they got out to a slow start against Iowa state, but they were still leading at halftime. I want to say in that game. Um, so yeah, like sometimes Michigan can battle back from that stuff and they, they do have a little bit of streak ability in them. What, uh, like Michigan state did last year. And that can, that can go uh, really well for you or that can go poorly. Cause you can be streaky good or you can, be streaky, like uh, not scoring for three minutes, you know? Right. You know what I'm saying? It's, you know, it's different when uh, both teams are kind of like that. You know what I'm saying? You can go into halftime close. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That's fine. But, like, yeah, it's not going to, you know, it's, cards aren't always going to fall that way. And I just want, you know, I just want them to be more consistent. That's just, but like I said, I'm not expecting a lot out of this team. I'm, I'm, I'm glad they're kind of, you know, playing kind of how they are, you know what I'm saying? I want them to, you know, grind it out. I want them – I don't want nothing to come easy for them, you know? Yeah. It, it's, kind of, it's kind of weird to hear a fan say that, you know what I'm saying? Because, you know, I'll take the easy right. route all it, the way to March, you know what I'm saying? At this but time I, of the year – I want them to yeah. face that. In the, at this point in the season in college basketball, winning easily really doesn't do much for you. And I think you saw it with Michigan last year and Michigan State the year before that where they blew out a lot of good teams early on and then just kind of fizzled down the stretch. So, yeah, Michigan had those two blowout wins over Gonzaga and Carolina, but, yeah, now having to grind their teeth more against 
the likes of Louisville and even Iowa, even though that one wasn't as close. Um, and, you know, against Oregon, just being in those tough games, even if you lose it, I think it does you a whole lot more good than it would do any damage. I mean, even the Iowa game, if our, if, if we're not shooting well, good night because Gar- Garza was on a, on a teardown, though. He yeah. had, like, what, 30-something points? So it's like, I mean, you're right. I mean, any given, any given time, that's what, that's what, that's what I said this every single year, every, any given time. There, there could be a, a, a Stephen F. Austin out there that is just ready. It's just chomping at the bits to take down a blue school. It just it happened. This was the greatest thing about uh, college basketball. Yeah. So. All right. So but, uh, moving on. But speaking about speaking about college teams, let's speak about our Detroit Lions. Um, <clears throat> they're bringing back. Quinn and Patricia, our GM and our head coach, coming back. Joe, man, you know how are you feeling about this? Disappointed, but not surprised. Um, the Lions, rather than cut their losses, they will always continue to try to fit a, a square peg in a round hole, and vice versa. Even if, like, we are, what's really going to change next year? Like. You know, the, the front office is saying, we're bringing them back, but we're really demanding more next season. It's like, well, why aren't you demanding more now? Jim, I'm not saying Jim Caldwell was the answer at coach because he wasn't, but you fired Jim Caldwell because nine and seven wasn't good enough. And now you go, you got 10 losses in back-to-back seasons. And it's kind of like, so what if you get the number three or number four pick? Like, you really trust these guys to make the right decision in that move? So, no, it it would be best if they cut their losses and dump the GM, dump the coach. Honestly, see what you can get for the quarterback. Um, but that's just not the way the Lions run things. <laughs> no, the Lions have not ran things uh, ever since, you know, the day Kennedy got shot, <laughs> which is the same, same day that uh, the Fords – but the Lions, I don't know if they have one and another have anything to do with each other. But I'm going to say, yeah, they, it, it, it might come down to it being some kind of curse. Because the only thing, the only constant is the Ford family. The ineptitude, it always starts at the head. You know, these it's that trickle-down effect. I can give you cliches all day. But it always starts from the top. They need to demand. You're right. They need to demand more. And like you said, okay. So if they're giving them another year, man, I mean, like, what does it matter? Right. What does that? So, what does so, a year matter? So let's say they go eight and eight next season and miss the playoffs. And what's the excuse to bring? Like, there's going to be an excuse to bring them back. It's like, oh, but we're building momentum. We improved our win total by five games, and we were this close to the playoffs. We got to bring them back for another year. Like that's I that's probably the most realistic thing I see happening for the Lions next season, not knowing like what offseason moves are gonna be made, but seriously, like you're just encouraging mediocrity at this point. Like, oh, but we're gonna demand better. It's like you said you were demanding better when you fired Jim Caldwell. And again, I'm not saying Jim Caldwell was the guy because he wasn't, but <laughs> I don't think you fired Jim Caldwell if you look into the crystal ball and saw that this was coming up, or at least, you know, you don't hire Bob Quinn so he can bring in his drinking buddy. And 
another thing is like the Lions, they never make wholesale changes. Like they fire everybody in 2015 except for Caldwell, and they bring in a new GM who then has to spend his first two seasons of his regime co- uh, with a coach he didn't pick. And then when that coach gets fired, a new coach comes in, but he doesn't get to pick his offensive coordinator. So he has to coach a year with somebody he didn't want as offensive coordinator. Now he has somebody who has, he wants as offensive coordinator. It's just like, if you make the wholesale changes back in 2015 and let that GM bring in his coach and offensive coordinator, as opposed to, yeah, new GM, but same coach, new coach, but same offensive coordinator. Like, you're just delaying yourself by four years that you don't need to do. Right. So are you saying that you kind of feel for Quinn because he didn't have 100% control of the reins? Um, well, it's not like he has Jerry Jones as his owner, you know, who wants to make every decision for on like every basis. Um, right. No, I don't feel bad for him because he hasn't really had a good draft since he's been in Detroit. But, um, you know, I think if he gets to pick a head coach early on, maybe he doesn't pick Matt Patricia. But that's just wishful thinking because I know him and Patricia were drinking buddies at New England. But, you know. Right. And then, like, like, who are you going to sign in a free agency if they know that the GM and the coach are kind of in their hot seat. Right. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, it, like it's going to turn off players to even come here. Right. You know the, fact, the fact that at this point in the season, you are saying we're not firing them. That's a red flag in and of itself. That's a good point. You know, and like, and like what trust, and, and I'm not saying like we, uh, before this season, we had the utmost trust of the Fords and no. their handling of the Lions, right? Because a lot of people a lot of people have checked out over the years. You know what I'm saying? I remember when I was younger, my dad, you know, I used to, you know, naively root for the Detroit Lions, you know what I'm saying? And here in my dad, oh, they'll always be God a bitch. They'll always be God a bitch. That's why they'll always always be not good. They'll, they'll always be crap. They're never good. They never make good decisions. Da, 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 da. <laughs> okay. Sure, Todd, whatever, whatever. And like here I am. 30 odd years later, my dad was 100% correct. People, my dad's checked out a long time ago. People have checked out a long time ago. You know what I'm saying? And people are going to continue to check out on the Lions. And I don't think it's a bad thing. You know what I'm saying? I don't think it's a bad thing at all. I think if if someone's giving you garbage product, you're not going to keep buying it. No. You know what I'm saying? I'm, you know, if you keep if you keep bringing me undercooked chicken, guess what, KFC? I'm going to take my ass to Popeye's. You get what I'm saying? Where you know the the chicken's thoroughly cooked, you know what I'm saying I can enjoy myself. Most it's an unenjoyable product. It's unenjoyable product, dude. And, it, and like it's just so shocking, like the amount of teams in the NFL that I've gone from bad to good to bad again or back to good. Like look at look at the roller coaster the Niners have been on for the last decade, or the <laughs> the Texans or even the Bengals. They're down now, but they were up for, you know, almost a whole decade. You know, the Ravens. Uh, the Rams, we are basically every team in the NFC West, like, <laughs> and, and during this whole span, like my whole life, you know, I, the best stretch I saw was the Lions getting to three playoff games in that five year stretch and not winning a single one of them and really not being competitive in any of them, but one, but <laughs> right, dude, there's like, 
There's like if you look at every team's history, there's like peaks and valleys. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Which, which, I, rightfully so, it's gonna happen. You know what I'm saying. You gonna have you gonna have a dynasty in Dallas, and then those guys are gonna get too old to retire, and then you gonna have your off you know off years, peaks and valleys. Detroit, we've been in the valley. We've been walking in the valley since the late fifties. I mean, we took a toboggan down. And there's no more ways that we can bring ourselves up. It just, it, it, I, it just, it's, it's not mind blowing. It's just heartbreaking. And every single year, they, they seem to suck people back in, and give people hope, just to tear it away from them. Right around this time, you and know, know what I'm saying? Every year, I see people care less and less. Like somebody who was a diehard fan three years ago now is checked out. Like you said. Um, people who at the beginning of this season were on the bandwagon or believing are now just totally numb to it. And, you know, maybe something will change between now and the kickoff for next season. But I definitely feel like every year the Lions are just losing fans to apathy and numbness and just not even being angry at it anymore. And that's that's the most dangerous thing. Right. And, you, and you know, you know, irks me the most in in it's it's you go to these lions games man and you look up in the crowds and everybody has these sell the team t-shirts on and like the banners and stuff which i love it but it's just like yeah you're doing that while you while you're drinking a, a 20 dollar beer right you know what i'm saying while you're you know at saying? The, the whole game. while you're at the game the whole game's sold out and you're like well i got these tickets for free yeah well you drove down here you had to pay for parking, which is probably like 40, 50 bucks. You had to walk through the concrete jungle. You 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 probably that's probably not your only beer that you had. You right. probably ate something in there, you know what I'm saying? So it's just like even if if you do not if we if if you don't want to if you want to force a sell a lions and you do not want the lions to keep moving the way it is, just straight up boycott. Yeah. Straight no, up, if, don't go to nothing. If you know someone, what I'm saying? If someone offered me like prime seats for the Lions Packers game December 29th, and I'm a big fan of Aaron Rodgers, I don't necessarily care for the Packers, but I would love to see Aaron Rodgers. I'd turn him down. Like, there's no way I'm going to spend my Sunday first off driving there, then spending, you know, the three to four hours at the game and then driving back. You know, there's no way I'm going to spend six hours on this team. Right, you might as well. You might as well make a viral video of you burning the tickets. Right. <laughs> no, hopefully you get on Barstool Sports with hey, Lions fans burns tickets instead of going to game and the tickets for free. <laughs> nobody, you know, yeah. so nobody should. Nobody to go wants to, to go. Game. Right, I know. Straight up, and like the, the level of people checking out. Like I checked out a long time ago. I'll still watch. You know what I'm saying? I'll still follow. It's mostly like background noise yeah. to me on Sundays. Like I, w- you know I watched to see the other team. Like on Sunday, I watched to see Indomitian Sue and Will Golston on the Bucks defensive line. Or like right back true, when true. back when like Drew Stanton played for the Cardinals. Like I, I I didn't watch the Lions game to see. Like I was openly cheering for Drew Stanton to beat them. You know, like that's just how I've been watching the Lions basically all my life. Right. And it's and that's sad. That's so sad, Joe. But you know what? It's it's the Lions, man. And I think until everybody just boycotts them, and and you know the Fords realize that you know maybe you know time to cut ties here. And like I've been hearing rumors of 
you know, Jeff Bezos, Amazon dude coming to talk to Martha Ford and seeing articles. Who knows how true that is? But I feel like he'd, he'd be the kind of guy that would just up and, you know, sell a team to, you know, London, London Lions. And, you know, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know. It's just it's it's heartbreaking. It's always it'll always be heartbreaking. But I'm I'm so numb to it. I'm over it. But more and more people are just so apathetic to you know what's going on in our professional football sports team is that people are checking out, but they're putting butts in the seats and they're selling twenty dollars Bloody Marys that are out of plastic footballs. So people are just going to go back and and keep on enabling the Fords to not really give a shit, to be honest with you. Yeah, and it's just kind of – I think anybody will tell you Matt Patricia is not going to win a Super Bowl. And um, what's the face? Bob Quinn is not the guy who's going to win you a Super Bowl. Matt Stafford, he might not be the quarterback that's going to win a Super Bowl. So why are, you, why are you just delaying it for at least another 365 days? A lot of these Lions fans, they don't have another five to ten years in them. Like if you got a five year plan, sorry, but this is the NFL. It doesn't it doesn't work like that. Right. So, Absolutely. It's just too fast paced nowadays. So no. No, for sure. So no, for for the Lions, I just think it would be best to cut ties, you know, cut your losses. Like I look at the Dolphins, like I'm I'm watching Ryan Tannehill dominate for the Titans, and I'm loving it. I'm really happy for the dude because he's a likable dude. I liked him in Miami, but you know, the Dolphins and Tannehill. They, it just wasn't the right fit. You know, it was honestly best for both the Dolphins and for Ryan Tannehill to move on. And it might be the same for Matt Patricia and Matt Stafford and the Lions. I mean, yeah, and you're absolutely right. I think, I think it's change of scenery sometimes, a change of, change of front office, the personnel sometimes can rejuvenate a player. I think that's what happened with. You know the Quadre Diggs thing. I think. <laughs> yeah, Quadre Diggs, <laughs> two I picks think, on Mon- on Sunday Night Football, including a pick six in prime time. Right, and you know what? The the reason why is because you know, you know, Pete Carroll said it himself. He's like, oh, about Quadre Diggs. I mean, he makes everyone great around him. You know what I'm saying? That's you know, low key in a roundabout way. He said, you know, Quadre Diggs is a great supporting player. You know what I'm yes. saying? He he went to a great a, a good system for his role. You know, his role on Detroit was gonna be the ace, the number one guy. Him and him in case him and uh him and Slay over there. You know what I'm saying? That's why he got paid, that's why he got the captain. But it just wasn't working out because he can't be that guy. You know what I'm saying? The reason why he did good, in my opinion, is that he went over there to a system like Seattle, which already is a good defensive system put in place. Pete Carroll's been there for a minute. He knows how to plug and play dudes in. You know what I'm saying? That's why Quanter Diggs is doing good over there despite his injury you know what i'm saying is because the system fit him good it didn't fit him in here in detroit and now that i think about it no system is good for any player in in detroit like who'd want to who wants to come here who wants to right now be in the top three or four players coming out of the uh coming out of the draft the nfl draft because you know you either go and play in uh, uh cleveland or cincinnati or um uh detroit you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, my God. Like, I, I would be like, geez, please, I would want to be the top three guys this draft. You know what I'm saying? Right. And, um, I don't know. It's going to be really funny when Matt Patricia does get fired in, let's say, two years when he's like, oh, well, you know, I, 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 I'm still good with Bill Belichick. I, I can just get a job with the Patriots again. 
and he just shows up to Bill's door and Bill's like, uh, I don't know this guy. <laughs> you know? Like, it should have been a big warning sign, like, that, you know, the Patriots were so, like, they were so happy for Matt Patricia to get a head coaching opportunity with the Lions. And then um, the offensive coordinator, the try, the Colts try to hire him, and they're just like, oh, no, 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 you can't do that. No, we're keeping right. him. <laughs> right. It's a, it's it's so telling. It's so telling. You know what I'm saying? You know, if, if you want to fight for an employee, you don't think that person is even freaking, you know, a, a, a worth the words that you even coming out of your mouth at that time. So, yeah, it's a good way to look at it, too. Yeah. Um, but on to merrier things, moving on from a fat guy in a muumuu with a black beard to a fat guy in a red suit and a big old white beard. Absolutely. Oh, uh, around that it's around that time again. We're about a we are a week away from Christmas now. So, Sasha, Merry Christmas to you and yours. Merry Christmas to you and yours, Joseph. Thank you. And um yeah, we we were scrambling for a, a non-sports topic. Uh, you know, we got Star Wars this weekend. Apparently, a new episode of The Mandalorian dropped tonight and not on the usual Friday time. So, I, I've yet to see that one. But, yeah, we're just going to take you through, like, our favorite Christmas song each. Some of our favorite Christmas memories and uh, favorite Christmas movies. So, Sasha, I'll let you take your, your pick of the runt, I guess. My song, I'm going to start off with a song, because, like, to me, like, when I hear, like, Nat King Cole's voice and Bing Crosby's voice singing Christmas songs, that, like, that's it. You know what I'm saying? I have Christmas. When, I, when, I'm, when I'm driving, if I'm not listening to the sports talk radio, you know, after December, after Thanksgiving, I'm listening to Christmas tunes, and people hate it. I don't understand how people hate Christmas music. It's, I think it's great. But my favorite Christmas uh, song of all time has to be Nat King Cole's The Christmas Song. You know, when you nice. hear the chestnuts roasting on an open fire, you know, Jack Frost nipping at your nose. I mean, it's just... An absolute it just brings, it just brings Yeah, it just brings me there. It, just, it, it, it like, warms my soul. I think Nat King Cole... You know, you know, I love Big Crosby. Don't get me wrong. I love Big Crosby's Christmases, but Nat King Cole just he just has that he just has that voice for Christmas, man. I just I don't know, I can't explain it. You know no, he I get it. Yeah, for me, um I really enjoy the song Oh Holy Night. It's one of my favorites to sing along to. Uh nice. especially particularly Josh Groban's version. Um I don't know, just the the Catholic in me. I love uh, o Come, O Come, Emmanuel. That just reminds me of not just Christmas, but Advent, you know, spending Sundays with my parents, you know, my mom cooking a nice meal for all of us. And we light the candles and sing before saying grace and everything. And, you know, each week you get a little bit further in the song, just building towards Christmas. That was one of my favorite memories as a kid, you know, lighting the candles and just progressing through O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Nice. And then, um, yeah, it was another one. Uh, the Killers from 2006 to 2016, my favorite band. Uh, every year around Christmas time, they would release a, a single specifically for the Christmas season. And all of the proceeds of the song would go to the Red Foundation, which goes to fighting AIDS and helping to find a cure for AIDS. And uh, they had a song in 2008 that they collaborated with 
Elton John on called Joseph Better You Than Me. And uh, that one's a really enjoyable song for me. Um, not just because I love <laughs> the killers and Elton John, but, you know, my name's Joseph. It's talking about, you know, the father of Jesus on earth. And, uh, yeah, if anybody's uh, looking for some new Christmas music, I would definitely suggest uh, listening to all of the killers' Christmas songs, but specifically Joseph, Better You Than Me, featuring Elton John. I did not know that, and slow clap to the killers for doing that. I think that I think that celebrities who use their, you know, wealth and celebrity, and I don't want to sound like... Bernie, Bernie, crazy Bernie here, you know. But when they when they use their wealth and their status for good, yeah, you know what I'm saying because because that's a drop in the bucket for those guys. Those guys right. are missing that money, you, you know, know what I'm saying. So it's like use, using your talents to you know make these songs and then you know collecting no money for them, just all the all of the proceeds going elsewhere. Yeah, no, I I love that. That's that's one of my favorite things about the Killers. Well, the killers are definitely on Santa's nice list. That's what we can say for that one. Um, favorite Christmas movie for me, um, I gotta go with Elf. That's just a classic. You know, I think it came out when I was like seven, and uh, okay, it's just been a, a staple in the Christmas time tradition in the dollhouse ever since. So, yeah, no, it's a classic. Uh, Will Ferrell makes me laugh every time, and uh, yeah, Elf is my go-to. Well, if you're, if you, okay, every, every phone that you answer until the new year, you have to answer, <laughs> hello, elf, what is your, your elf, what is your favorite color? <laughs> <laughs> so you have to do that all the time. I'm sure they but love no, that it's a, at work. Dude, that is a great, it's a great pick. That's, that's, um, I have a buddy, the elf Funko pop on my mantle right now <laughs> as part of, as part of my Christmas, um, I don't know, decorations inside, but, um, that's my wife's favorite Christmas movie and my kids love it too. They love buddy, the elf. So that's a good one. Um, for me, if it's not National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation or if it's not, you know, a Christmas story, you know, you'll shoot your eye out, kid, because those yep. are a great one. I have to go with the unorthodox pick of Die Hard. Die it's hard. not Christmas until Hans Gruber is falling off the Nakatomi Tower. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And uh, and it's not Christmas until uh, – you know, you don't hear shoot the glass and, you know, you know, uh, John McClane's in the HVAC pipe. Yeah. In the HVAC well, ducks. We'll have, a good time. have a good time. Forget a few drinks. You know what I'm saying? It's like, <laughs> to me, I, you know, Die Hard is by far my favorite Christmas movie. People, people say it's not. It totally is. You know what I'm saying? Al, Al, Al Powell eating his Twinkies. You know, at the end, saving him after not pulling his gun for, like, how many years? I mean, what yeah. a great story, dude. What a great story. So, Die Hard is officially my my favorite uh, holiday movie, Christmas movie. So. I dig it. And you brought up a Christmas story. Not to keep talking about the Killers, but you don't take any opportunity I get to talk about them. I went to see the Killers in Cleveland this last summer. And one of the few attractions in Cleveland is the house from A Christmas Story. I've so, been there myself. All right. Well, yeah, uh, my brother-in-law was especially excited to stop by and see it and look out the window at the neighbor's house across the street. So, um, yeah, that was that was a, a funny highlight that I didn't know Cleveland had until I was there. And they were, they were like, oh, yeah, by the way, we got to go see the house from Christmas Story. <laughs> I was like, okay. Do, do you know, you want to know how that came about? How so? <laughs> 
how that how that house how that house like is still standing and is attraction now. Well, the this one guy used to live on the East Coast, moved to moved to California, and he started manufacturing the uh, the leg lamps. Okay, you know what I'm saying small, medium, and larges, right? So one day he was on eBay and someone was selling the 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 Christmas story house from Cleveland, saying yeah, this was the house that house that was shot. The exteriors were shot for the Christmas story, and and you know the down the street and all that. All the exteriors were shot there. Um, everything on the inside was shot on a, uh, you know, in a in, in California on a stage, you know, uh, you know, in, you know, a studio. So the guy's like, I'm gonna buy it. So he went and bought it, and he made the inside like just kind of how it was. You know, what I'm saying it wouldn't be 100 percent because they didn't shoot anything on the inside. But they kind of made it, you know, into like a little museum. And then he has a museum across the street where, you know, uh, celebrities and people from the movie had donated stuff. So if you go there, you can actually get like we got a package. It was me, my sister, my wife and my aunt at the time. It was like, I want to say good 10 years ago we went Mm -hmm. and you get a package where you can actually go in the house. And the lady kind of tells you about, you know, the exteriors and like how how you know, the story about how the guy kind of got the house and remodeled it to make it look like it. And then you get to go across the street to the museum and they have like stuff from the movie that everyone donated. And then, and then we went to, they had a deal with a local Chinese restaurant. And if you go there, they will bring the duck out and they will sing fra ra 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 for you. And they will <laughs> sing it fra ra 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 I thought it was the greatest marketing <laughs> thing in the world. We had, that, that was probably one of my favorite times going to Ohio. I'm not a big fan of Ohio, no. the state. Right. But we go to Cleveland and doing the Christmas story, uh, little bundle package tour thing. I suggest everybody highly does it if they're a Christmas story fan. It's, it, it, it was a wonderful thing. That is a fantastic tidbit. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, and then we got favorite Christmas moments, or, uh, this is kind of like an all encompassing one. It's hard to come up with. Um, but what, yeah, when I was nine, I got my first sports jersey. I got a Shannon Brown number three green Michigan State basketball jersey that I wore the shit out of. (laughs) I was nine years old and it was an adult small jersey. So it was like a dress on me when I first got it. And I really grew up with that jersey, Um, grew in and out of it until it was a a little (laughs) tight on me. You know, it was uh, accentuating my curves, if you will. (laughs) So yeah, last year around the final four, I gave it to my my much thinner older brother and then uh, used the closet space to buy a Cassius Winston jersey this year. Extra large. So, Absolutely. Nice. Well, nice. You you, you upgraded. Right? That's right. That's right. And he loves he loves the jersey. So it's great. It's funny seeing my, my brother who's 10 years older than me wear a jersey I got when I was nine. But that's crazy, <laughs> dude. Um, but yeah, there's just so many moments. Um. Hard to encompass one, but that was just one of my favorite presents. Probably the present I held on to the longest until gifting it to someone else. Right. Nice. Um, for my best moment, I think, like, I got to kind of break it up because um, I don't think as an adult I've had my adult moment yet. I think we're going to have it this Christmas because, you know, we just moved into our, our house. It's the That's first right. house we had. So it's my kids kind of like first Christmas in our house. So I think this is going to be our my adult moment. You know what I'm saying? Definitely. But for my for my youth moment, I think is when I opened up my NES 
And if for those who don't know what NES is, a uh, Nintendo Entertainment System. I think I was over the moon. I'm, you know, I'm a gamer now. My kids like gaming. I think it kind of shaped my life, you know, it's, in a, it's in a set sense. the course for you. Yeah. So, like electronics, I grew up neck and neck with, you know, electronics, computers. But when I got the NES, man, I, I think, I, I think that's the only, that's that's the biggest present that kind of sticks out of my head when I was a kid was getting a Nintendo Entertainment. When I opened that up, dude, it was just like. Hallelujah! You know, so many things in motion. Just getting that one present. It it's honestly it honestly is, and to see like how video games and electronics has come, you know, such a long way since you know I I ripped that open when I was five years old to this. You know, I'm saying it's just it's it's crazy, but yeah, it's it's funny talking about you know getting that game that gaming system and it kind of sets you in motion. I look over at my closet after just talking about, you know, getting my first sports jersey at the age of nine. And I got 12 sports jerseys hanging up in my closet right now, just I'm, counting like off the top of my head. Right. And I'm telling you, it just, it's, it's, it'll stick with you. Yeah. You're probably, you're, you're, you're probably gonna, you're gonna be this big, big like Hollywood CEO, Joe, uh, of some kind of like radio station. And, and you could have this mansion and you could walk in, you could have like one wing dedicated <laughs> to like all framed jerseys. That's right. You know, and some, gonna be, some people stick. like shoes, some people like autographs. You know, I love getting sports jerseys right now. Um, the one I really want to add to my closet next is a Patrick Mahomes Chiefs jersey. I love Patrick Mahomes. He's really kind of like inv- reinvigorated my love for the NFL. And um, yeah, <laughs> but uh, I love this time of year. I love Christmas. And uh, sometime soon, I'll have to come out to Brighton and we'll grab a beer together, man. Celebrate the holiday season. Absolutely. We're closer to each other, too. So That's right. Absolutely, brother. So I think we kind of covered everything. We got to Michigan State, Michigan basketball. Um, our likes, our dislikes, our pros, our cons. But in the long run, we still love our squads and you know what's Um, great we're about a third of the of the way through the season now so it starts to get real and we're not even halfway done which is awesome it's really why college basketball is the best right right we talked about the two goofballs at Allen park that are sticking around which really they should be suspended for their activities but principal martha says we'll give them another chance (laughs) but um yeah we think they should go um I don't think she has a trust of the fans anymore. I think the the players don't have the trust of the uh, coaching stat- staff in the facility. So I just think we're going to be having the same conversation next year. Yeah. <laughs> no, for sure. Like I said, we'll probably be sitting at 8-8 eight and eight at this point next season, and they'll be like, oh, but look how much progress we've made from the last two years. Uh, that's exactly how it's going to go. But – yeah, that wraps up everything we wanted to get to today. If you guys want to catch more of us, you can find Sasha on Talking Shoot. You guys record every Sunday morning still? Every other Sunday. Every other Sunday. We're, yeah, we're doing every other Sunday on CRB Radio. And you can always, you know, there's archives. You can check the archives, yeah. too. So. Oh, you guys cover mostly, like, NBA stuff and lots of other stuff on there? Yeah, it's just it's just really strictly sports. Sometimes we'll get into hip hop. Sometimes we'll get into movies and stuff. But mo- most of the time, it's just we we banter about sports. And I gotta I gotta bump my other podcasts. Uh, 
Absolutely. Uh, my good friend Mike puts a lot of work into it. <laughs> I mean, I do too, but this guy, he really puts his soul into every episode. Uh, if you want more content on Michigan and Michigan State Athletics, check out the Paul Bunyan podcast featuring me and uh, a friend of the program. If you've been with us from the start, uh, you've heard him on here a couple times, Mike Olson. Um, we really just take the opportunity to nerd out on all things Spartans, Wolverines, rivalry. It's great. A lot of fun. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, from our family to yours, Merry Christmas. And thank you for listening to the Beards for Radio podcast. Yeah, but you be Kaye, mother stuffers. <laughs>designs stitches does everything himself and it's good to reward small businesses and hard work so do us all a favor visit far-ebar.com and do yourself a favor and your closet a favor and get one of these products now